and to go up vertically and worship together for the Lord, picking our eyes up from the things that are around us, for picking up our eyes up from the things that are, that are on this earth, and picking our eyes up to the Lord and crying out to him all with one voice, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. It's a, it's a wonderful moment for me and a wonderful moment, I hope, for you guys as well. Uh, in, in a time that's very political, uh, you know, election coming up on Tuesday, it can get really easy to be distracted. Uh, by the things of this world, to be disheartened and stressed and anxious about things that are going on. But I want to just take a moment to, to remind you guys that uh, however you vote on Tuesday doesn't matter. We get to come together and worship the Lord as one family, right? So if you vote Republican on Tuesday, if you vote Democrat on Tuesday, you vote Libertarian on Tuesday, you vote Green Party on Tuesday. Is that still a thing? Like you vote whatever party you vote for on Tuesday doesn't matter as we gather together and we worship the Lord as one family. And then regardless of whether your candidate wins or not on Tuesday, next Sunday we'll be able to gather together as one family and worship the Lord together. Like what a wonderful praise uh, praiseworthy uh, uh, realization, a, a wonderful truth for us as we recognize that, um, that yes, vote, go out, do what, do what you want to do with, uh, and vote for who you want to vote for, but, but our kingdom is the eternal kingdom of God and we get to worship the Lord together and celebrate him as one family, regardless of how we vote and regardless of how the elections turn out. So praise the Lord for that. This morning, we're going to finish up our uh, 30,000 foot view of the Pentateuch, uh, five weeks through five books. Uh, this week, we're going to be in Deuteronomy, the last book of the Pentateuch. And this is a book that uh, one uh, Old Testament scholar puts it this way. Uh, the most important book in the Old Testament is the book of Deuteronomy, and it's not debatable. That is what the, um, and so other guys would like to debate that, but, but, it, uh, it, but he has a really strong point. The book of Deuteronomy, especially with how the rest of the Old Testament plays out, and the message of the Old Testament for us as Christians, like it, is a, it is a supremely important book for us. And so it's a, it has a great uh, message for us. It has a, a great pivotal, uh, it stands as kind of the pivot point for the entire Old Testament. The, in fact, uh, the rest of history, the, all the books of the, you know, the rest of the Old Testament with all the history books of what happens to Israel is called uh, by some scholars deuterocanonical history, meaning, meaning the Deuteronomy is so linked to the rest of Israel's history that they think they have to be tied together, right? Like they couldn't possibly have had Moses write this book before these events happened because they're so linked together with one another. Uh, I disagree with them. I think Moses wrote the book, and I think there's really good evidence for that. But praise the Lord that he's wise enough and, and uh, powerful enough to prophesy things before they happen, right? But that's, the book of Deuteronomy is such a pivotal book for us in our study of the Old Testament that, that if you're going to, to understand and know one book from the Old Testament, this is a great one to learn, to know, and to understand. And we're going to look at it, just a 30,000-foot view this morning uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. Let, us, let me pray for us, and we'll get into the book this morning. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this family of faith, God, that we get to come together and we get to worship you through song. We get to lift up praise and honor and glory to your name. And we get to remind one another through song of the glorious truths of the gospel. We get to remind one another through song to pick our eyes up and to set them on you. God, I thank you for this family of faith that we get to come together and open up your word and that through your word, God, you, you speak to us. You, you, uh, you impact our thoughts and our lives, God. We pray that as we get into the word this morning, God, you would, you would change everything about us. 
We pray, God, that you would give us ears to, to hear what you're saying to us and a heart that is ready to apply it, God, that we would grow and be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus because of our time in the Word. God, I pray that we would leave here better than when we came because we spent time studying your Word and hearing from you, God. We love you and praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, if any of you participated in extracurricular activities in, uh, in school, then you're probably uh, familiar with the idea of the, the beginning of the year speech, right? So, so I, I'll give you an example. Uh, on my team, we knew that at the beginning of every year, our team would sit in the gym, and our coach would give us a speech about integrity and passion and effort, and he would give us this speech, you know, first day of school, every year, gather us all together and give us the spiel. And about two or three years into it, I realized that they all sounded the same, right? Like the same, he gave the same speech every year. Like no creativity whatsoever, <laughs> no variations. I'm like, give me a little rhetorical flourish every now and then, nothing. The exact same speech every year that he would give us. It's like he, he was reading from the same note card he copied from coachspeeches.com or something. I don't know if that's a website, but it should be. Um, like he, he was giving this same speech year after year after year. And I realized uh, that he was giving that same speech uh, for the same reason that teachers give the same welcome to my class speech at the beginning of every school year. Uh, it's because new kids keep showing up. Right? Like middle schools keep sending kids to high school after <laughs> every year. And this whole new batch of kids shows up. And so in order to keep the standards of the classroom, in order to keep the standards of the team or of the choir or of the band or whatever it is, in order to keep those standards, in order to, to set the tone of the way things are supposed to go at the beginning of every year, the teacher or the coach or the director, they have to give the same spiel, the same speech, just repeating over and over again, these are the standards, this is the way you're supposed to go for every new group of students. And the book of Deuteronomy is like the coach's speech at the beginning of the year. It's like the teacher's welcome to my classroom speech that you get every, every new year of school. Because the book of Deuteronomy is actually a repeat of the second part of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. If you remember back with me, last week in the book of Numbers, the Israelites who God rescued from slavery in Egypt, right? In Exodus, we saw God rescued them from slavery. They, God parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land, uh, and then they got to go to Mount Sinai, where God appeared on the mountain and gave them his rules and his law. Uh, and then in the second half of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, we get that law. Uh, and then that group of Israelites, they made their way to the promised land, the land that God told them that they could have, that he was going to give to them. And right when they got to the outside of it, they decided they weren't going to trust God and refused to go in. So God, uh, the, the punishment for that was that this whole generation of Israelites was going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, right outside the promised land, until every single member of that generation died and a new generation rose up who wasn't as rebellious as the first. Right? That was the punishment. And so the book of Exodus, I mean, excuse me, the book of Numbers spans about 40 years as the, as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness and every single member of that generation dies. And then by the end of the book of Numbers, those 40 years are up and a whole new gen generation of Israelites have grown up. And this new generation of Israelites were not there at Sinai. They were, or they, if they were, they were really young. And so Moses has to repeat all of the laws from Exodus and Leviticus and, and for this whole new generation. Like help them to understand and to make sure that they know what's going on. And so that's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's a repeat, a rehashing of the old covenant, a, a rehashing of this promise between God and his people, that they will be his people and he will be their God if they would follow all of these rules perfectly. If you remember, uh, 
uh, also from the book of Exodus, from the book of Leviticus, that God chose the Israelites and he decided he wanted to dwell with them. He was going to live with the Israelites. And if they were going to, uh, if, if God was going to live among them, they were going to have to follow his rules. That was the covenant. That was the promise. That was the plan. And so with this new generation of Israelites, they had to know the rules in order for God to dwell among them. And that's what we get in the book of Deuteronomy. As we go through the book of Deuteronomy this morning, this is what I hope you'll see. The law is good. We are not. So the grace of God is needed. This is a, a, a progression that is repeated again and again in the book of Deuteronomy. The idea that the law is good, but we are hopelessly rebellious. And so the grace of God is desperately needed for us. We're going to take these kind of piece by piece. And so we'll look at the, the first portion of this this morning. The law is good, or, or to put it another way, God is worthy of our obedience. We should obey and follow the Lord. So at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, the first three chapters, Moses basically gives them a, a, a recap of their recent history. Right? Moses tells these new generation of Israelites, hey, this is all that God did for your parents. God rescued them from slavery. He took them to Mount Sinai. But your parents rebelled against God, refused to go into the promised land, uh, and, and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they all died. So that was, that was this little recap of the recent history. That's what Moses begins the book with, and that sets up the stage for chapter 4. Turn with me, Deuteronomy chapter 4. After recapping the history of the previous generation, the, the generation that received the law, the generation that should have gone in and taken the promised land after rehashing their rebellion and their failure to trust the Lord and their refusal to enter the land, after repeating all of that history, Moses tells this new generation of Israelites to do the one thing that their parents didn't, and that's to keep the law. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Says, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land of the Lord, the land that the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So, after recapping the history, Moses sits down the nation and says, "Guys, just do what you're supposed to do. Follow the rules, obey the law." God has decided that he wants to dwell with you. God has chosen you as his people. But in order for God to dwell among you, you have to be a holy people. You have to follow the rules. Your parents found that out the hard way. So please, just do what you're supposed to do. Just follow the rules. Just follow the law. Notice what he says in verse 13. Oh, excuse me, uh, verse 23. The, the reason... <laughs> The first reason that Moses gives that they need to follow the law. He's like, hey, follow the law. And the first reason he gives is, hey, follow the law because your parents didn't and they all died. Like that, that's their, kind of the first hint there. Like, please follow the law. Verse 23 of chapter 4. Moses says, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The, the, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Basically, what Moses says is keep the law because God will not tolerate rebellion against him. Do the things you're supposed to do because God cannot stand it if you don't. And if you're reading that and you think, hey, that sounds like a harsh position to take, 
um, it does sound that way. Right? Like that previous generation of Israelites all died in the wilderness because they rebelled against God. And, and while they were wandering in the wilderness, God sent disease because they rebelled against him. God sent uh, uh, venomous snakes because they rebelled against him. Time and again, like he sent these punishments for them because they rebelled against him. God can't stand rebellion. God can't stand people going against him. And so it sounds like a harsh stance to take until we take a step back and we realize who God is. That's what Moses does in chapter 4, verse uh, 39. In chapter 4, verse 39, Moses says, Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. The point that Moses is making here is you need to follow the rules, you need to follow the laws, because God is worth obeying, right? He's the only one who is God, right? If you, if you rebel against God, if you, if you turn away from him, that means you are rejecting his root and deciding to go your own way, right? If you decide to not follow the rules, if you decide to do things that God says is not okay, if you decide to go your own plan, you're rejecting the role, uh, you're rejecting the plan and authority of the creator of all things, and you're going after your own devices, right? And so God can't stand when people rebel against him. And the foolishness of the idea of rebelling against God is the fact that he is God, and there is not another God, and so it's not like you're choosing between gods. It's not like you're choosing between two equally good paths. Right? It's not like you're choosing between two equally good things. You're rejecting the rule and authority and power of the creator of all things, your creator, and going after other things. Worshiping things that aren't God. So God has every right to be angry when his creation rebels against him. For us to look at God and say, God, I don't want to do things your way. I don't want to follow your plan. I don't want to worship you. I don't want to obey you. I want to go and do my own thing. That is arrogance. It is uh, ridiculous. And it is the epitome of foolishness. And so God has every right to be angry when his people rebel against him. The only one who is worthy of worship and praise and honor and glory is God. God is worthy of obedience, and so we should be obeying God. We should follow the rules. We should do things exactly how he wants. Notice what, uh, how Moses describes the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He kind of makes this point very clear, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. One of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, uh, in Judaism, it's called the Shema. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Meaning that there is no other God. <laughs> there is one God, there is no other God. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
So Moses is breaking down this idea, and he says, you have one God. There's one creator. There's one person worthy of worship and honor, and you were created by him to give him worship and glory and honor. And so you should follow the rules. You should love the Lord your God with everything that you are because he's the creator. He is the only God. And you should listen to all the commandments, and you should perfectly follow them. That makes sense. That is what we should be doing because he's God and there is no other. What is the rules? What are the rules that Israel is supposed to follow? What is the commandment that God gives them? If we look back in verse 5, you'll see that it's something that we're familiar with. It's, and we know them as the Ten Commandments. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. That, this covenant meaning a, a promise between God and his people. So God promises that they will be his people. He'll pour out blessings upon his people as long as they follow the rules. And here are the rules. Verse 5. This is the covenant that God proclaimed. He said, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on and he lists the Ten Commandments. He repeats, he, he, he lists the other nine right after this. So the laws that the Israelites are supposed to follow, the rules that they're supposed to obey are the Ten Commandments. If they want to be on God's good side, if they want to earn his favor, if they want to be his people, all they have to do is perfectly follow the Ten Commandments. That's all that they have to do. Then the rest of the rules in the book of Deuteronomy are, are a rehashing of the rules in the second half of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus. Those are just specific rules, minor specific details that all relate back to what it looks like to be a people that perfectly follow the Ten Commandments. And so all, it's summing up the entire law. All the Israelites have to do is perfectly follow the Ten Commandments. And they'll be God's people. He'll pour out his favor and his blessings upon them. That's what they're supposed to do. And, and those rules all make sense. Right? Loving God with everything you are. Not murdering God's people. <laughs> people created in the image of God. Not stealing from or harming people who God created. Not worshiping other idols or false gods. Like those things make complete sense. If God is the only God, the only one, of worthy of only one worthy of worship and honor and praise, then all of those rules make complete sense. We should love him with everything that we are, and we should treat his creation accordingly. So it makes total sense that the Israelites would be required to follow this law. All they have to do is do what they're supposed to do as people that God created. All they're, all they're supposed to do is to live like God created them to live, to be the creations that God created them to be. That's all they had to do. And Moses is quick to remind them throughout the book that if they do this, they will, God will pour out his blessings upon them. He will lavish his blessings on them time and again. If you look in chapter 11, you get just an, an example of this. This, this idea comes up over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. But in chapter 11, verse 13, Moses says, If you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season 
the early rain and the later rain, then you may gather in your grain and in your wine and your oil. So, uh, God, and if you look at the end of chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but if you look at the end of chapter 6, verse 24, uh, Moses says basically the same thing. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he may preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So if you're able to follow the rules, if you're able to do what you're supposed to do, then God is going to pour out his blessings upon you. All they have to do is follow the law. The law is good. It makes sense. It's just asking us to do what we're supposed to do. God is worthy of our obedience. The law is good. The only problem is uh, that the only thing that we're capable of is rebellion. So if we tried to follow the law, great, go at it. But the only thing that we are ultimately capable of is rebelling against God. We cannot perfectly follow the law God has laid out before us. That was true of the Israelites. I want you to notice a theme running throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Turn back to chapter 4. So repeat, just throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, hey, keep the law, follow the law, obey the Lord, don't forget this, just do what you're supposed to do, and you'll have the favor of God, you'll earn eternal life, you'll earn the blessings of God, all you have to do is keep the rules, but in the middle of all of these uh, commands, in the middle of him saying, hey, make sure you remember this, make sure you do this, notice what he says, chapter 4, verse 25. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then you, when you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So in the middle of this command, you can see Moses telling them, hey, if you, if you turn away from this, if you do not perfectly follow it, God is going to kick you out of the land. And then in the middle of this prophecy, he, or in the middle of this uh, warning, he kind of goes into prophecy mode, and you can see his language uh, switch from this, this will happen if you disobey God to this is going to happen. Like, you guys are going to rebel against God. He's going to kick you out of the land, but he'll bring you back one day. So in the middle of this command, we see Moses saying, you guys are going to rebel. You're not, you're not going to follow it. All you have to do is follow the law, and you'll have God's blessing and his favor, but you're not going to. I already know it. So he's going to kick you out of the land. Uh, turn with me to chapter 9. In chapter 9, Moses is telling them they're, they're about to go into the land that God promised them. And he's trying to, to dampen their enthusiasm just a little bit for themselves. Chapter 9, verse 6. 
Moses says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. So Moses tells the Israelites, you're not going to get the promised land because you're great people, because you're following the law perfectly. You don't. You're stubborn. Like, you are unrighteous, rebellious people. Turn with me to chapter 29. So this is after Moses lists out all the rest of the rules. He, he lists out the law. Chapter 29, verse 2. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and the great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So he's saying, you, you witnessed all that God did, and yet you still don't see it. You still don't understand it. You still don't hear what's going on. You can't comprehend what's going on. You do not worship the Lord. You're a stubborn, stiff-necked people, is what, uh, what Jesus calls them multiple times. Chapter 30, the very next chapter, in the rest of chapter 29, Moses tells them that they're going to get kicked out of the land. God is going to exile them from the land. In chapter 30, verse 1. Moses says, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. Notice his language there is, a, is prophetic language, saying you're going to get kicked out of the land. You're going to incur the curses of God. He gets even more specific in chapter 31. This is, this is the most uh, uh, confrontational that Moses gets. Chapter 31, verse 24. When Moses had finished writing the words of the law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I'm yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? And so Moses, uh, we can even keep going. 28, assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. So Moses says, I'm about to die. And I know that when I die, you're going to rebel. That's who you are. You're a rebellious, stubborn people. And then Moses sings a song in chapter 32. And the entire song is about how God is going to reject Israel and kick them out of the land because they're not going to follow God. Really upbeat, a big hit at weddings. I guess it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful praise song. And, and, and then that's it. That's the end of the book. Like Moses reminds them and tells them, hey, I'm going to die and you're going to rebel against God. And then he dies. That's the end of the book. He sings a song about it. And then he dies in chapter 34. Like, what a, what a sad way to end the book of Deut uh, Deuteronomy. But the whole point is that Moses knows that all they have to do is keep the law. If they want to have God's favor, if they want to have his blessing, all they have to do is to do what they're supposed to do. But Moses says, I know you won't because you are a rebellious people. And what's true for the Israelites is true for us as well. 
If you read the law, you read these rules, you read the Ten Commandments, and you say, you know what? Sounds like a good deal to me. All I have to do is perfectly follow these, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn the favor of God. I'm going to earn eternal life, and you can have at it. You can copy out and print out copies of the Ten Commandments and put them on your mirror and put them on the corner of your, your, uh, your windshield and put them on your uh, desk at work to remind you constantly to follow the rules, to do what you're supposed to. But no matter how hard you try, you and I both know that you're not going to measure up. No matter how hard you try, it is impossible for us to perfectly follow the law. It is impossible for us to be perfect people who perfectly love God with all that we are and to be people who, who, uh, who perfectly follow every single one of his rules and regulations. We cannot be a people that earn eternal life because every single one of us are broken, rebellious, sinful people. Think of toddlers. Have you ever tried to tell a toddler not to touch something? Toddlers are not the picture of perfect compliance, right? They're not known as like the, 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 most, uh, the most obedient people on the planet, right? And so whenever you try to tell a toddler not to touch something, they immediately get this grin on their face, like touching the thing that you just said not to touch is now their favorite pastime, you know? They're like, oh, this thing, you know? And they get, they get closer to it, they inch closer to it, and they put their finger up to it, and, and you know, just thinking like, hey, it's going to be really funny, his reaction when I touch this thing, you know? And then they get closer and closer, and no matter how many times you say, don't touch it, like, don't you, don't you dare touch that thing, I said no. Every time the toddler grabs that thing, and then they laugh in your face as if that's, it's the greatest thing that just, like, they, they grab it, and they're like, ha look at this, I got it. Uh, I did exactly what you said not to do. Uh, it's like it's in our DNA. That we are rebellious, stubborn people. We don't grow out of it. As we grow up, we, we can try as hard as we want to be perfect people, to follow all the laws, to do everything that we're supposed to do in order to, in order to earn the favor of God, in order to earn eternal, eternal life, in order to earn a ticket to heaven. We can do everything we can possibly try to do in order to earn it, but we will not earn it. We can't. The law is good, and if we could follow it all, we would earn eternal life. But the law is good, but we aren't. The only thing we're capable of is rebellion. And that would be a really sad way to end this sermon. Now, I could say amen and pray and then walk out the door, and that is how he ends the book. Like, that's a really, that's kind of it. <laughs> like, that's a sad way to end the book of Deuteronomy. Moses says, I'm going to die, and you're going to rebel. And then Moses dies, and then they rebel. Like, that's it. It all happens exactly as Moses said. And all of the curses in the book of Deuteronomy that the people of God incur upon themselves Instead of, instead of getting the blessings of God because they followed the law, they get the curses of God. Instead of getting the favor of God, they get the wrath of God. And we see that play out throughout Israel's history. All of the curses in the book of Deuteronomy, especially the curses listed out in chapter 28, the people of Israel get them. Military defeat, check. Famine, check. Disease, check. Exile, getting kicked out of the land, check. And check again, because it happened twice. Like the people of Israel get all of the curses that God laid out in the book of Deuteronomy because they are incapable of following the law. All they get in return for their efforts is curses and the wrath of God because they do not measure up. Thankfully, then Moses, thankfully Moses doesn't just give bad news in the book of Deuteronomy. He also gives good news. 
We already read one of the, the hopeful passages in, in, in chapter 4, verse 31, where, where Moses says that God is a merciful God. He will not forget his people. And this is, this is in the context of even after they've rebelled, even after they've been exiled, he says God is a merciful God. He will not forget his people. And, it's, and, and, and that's fleshed out even more in chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse 1. Moses says, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your, first, your fortunes. He will have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That sixth verse is the most important one. Because what Moses says is that God is going to perform heart surgery. He's going to fix what's broken. Because the law is good, but we are not, so the grace of God is needed. We're never going to earn eternal life. We're never going to earn the favor of God. And so we need God to make a way for us to have his favor again. And Moses points forward to the day when God is going to fix what's broken. Where he's going to change people's hearts so that they can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. So We see this played out. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, where the prophet Jeremiah says there's going to be a day when God's going to write his law on people's hearts. And the, in that passage, Jeremiah says that that day is going to come when a new covenant comes about, when God brings a brand new covenant, where he does away with this old covenant. Because the old covenant is a promise between us and God that says, I'll follow the rules and you're going to give me your favor. And that didn't work because we couldn't follow the rules. And so there's going to be a day when God instead gets rid of the old covenant and brings about a brand new covenant, one where God does all of the work and he pours out his favor on people as a gift. Moses, in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, Moses prophesies that there's going to come a prophet after him, a brand new Moses, a better Moses, and this prophet we know from Jeremiah is going to be someone who brings about a brand new covenant. And the prophet that is prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, it, Peter tells us in the book of Acts, that was Jesus. The one who brings about the brand new covenant was Jesus Christ. And by his death and his resurrection, God will pour out his favor and love upon the people who place their faith in him. So that if we place our faith in Jesus, there's a new covenant that says you don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to work for it. You, don't, you are freed from the obligation of trying to get God to love you because you couldn't measure up in the first place. But God pours out his love and his favor and his grace upon you through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that God will fix what's broken. Praise the Lord that grace was needed and God abundantly supplied that grace. We have been set free as Christians from the slavery to the law, from attempts of trying to earn eternal life, of trying to earn God's favor because we never could. 
Instead, Jesus died and rose again, and the shedding of his blood and his eternal life, by those things, he gives us the favor of God and the love of God. Which is also why it kills me to see Christians trying to resurrect the old covenant and trying to to make rules and regulations in order to earn God's favor and to be on God's good side. You see it in a lot of different ways, but I've especially seen it most commonly with the Ten Commandments. I I, I think for a lot of us, the Ten Commandments, when, when I say that we are set free from the law by Jesus, most Christians would say, yes, I agree with that. Praise the Lord. I can eat bacon. I can eat shrimp. I, can, I don't have to follow any of the, the weird customs and laws uh, 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 in the Old Testament. I don't have to do any of that. Praise the Lord. I'm free from the law. But the, the Ten Commandments are like this separate category from us. We think, well, you have the law, which is like Leviticus, but then you have the Ten Commandments, and that's something else. But actually twice in the book of Deuteronomy, once in chapter 5 and once in chapter 9, Moses says, this is the covenant the Ten Commandments. This is the law that you have to follow to earn the favor of God, the Ten Commandments. And so when we as Christians get the Ten Commandments and we bring them back and we set them up as if we put them on our church walls, we put them in our courthouses, we put them everywhere and we set them up as the standard that we need to follow in order to be on God's good side, what we're doing is we're resurrecting the Old Covenant. And we're saying, you have to follow these laws in order for God to love you. You have to follow these laws in order to have the favor of God. And it kills me. Because, hear me say this, Christian. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the favor of God. You don't have to question whether or not God loves you. He's never going to love you any more or less than he does because of Jesus. And so we don't have to resurrect laws and set them up and, and say, follow these, and you're going to, to, you're going to have the favor of God. You have been set free from those things by Jesus Christ. Your goal is not to follow the laws, to check the rules, to be a good person in order to get God to love you. Your job now is to keep your eyes on Jesus and to live as someone who has been set free from sin and death, who has had heart surgery and has been made new. The thing that really brings this home for me with the Ten Commandments is the Fourth Commandment. Fourth Commandment says, uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And this is the one that most Christians have trouble with. Because when we resurrect the Ten Commandments and we put them up and say, these are the things that we have to follow in order to have the favor of God, the other nine we're pretty okay with. Like, we're all in agreement. All right, don't have idols, don't murder, don't steal. All right, we're all, in, we're all on board there. But what do we, but the fourth commandment is the one that gives us some trouble. Because what does it mean to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy? If we need to follow this rule in order to have the favor of God, what does that mean for us? Does it mean we have to take naps on Sundays? Does it mean we, ha- we, we can't work a shift on Sundays? Does it mean we have to close our chicken restaurants on Sundays? Like, what does it mean to, be, to, to, to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy? And it's especially problematic for us when we learn that the Sabbath is Saturday. So what do we do with that information, right? When we, when we take the Ten Commandments and we put them up and we say, these are the rules you have to follow to earn the favor of God, you run into a lot of trouble with the Fourth Commandment. And the reason for that is that we have removed it from its context in the Old Covenant, and we have tried to fit it into the New, saying, you have the favor of God in Jesus, but also you need to make sure you're following these things. And the the fourth commandment specifically, the writer of Hebrews says that the reason the Sabbath day existed was so that to remind the Israelites that there is a rest of God. There is eternal life 
in God. And every single week, they were to be reminded that they hadn't entered into it yet. That they have not entered into God's eternal rest. That they had not received eternal life. And so every week, they took a Saturday, and they reminded themselves by not doing anything that they need to enter God's rest. But as Christians, the writer of Hebrews says, we've entered it. We have eternal life in Jesus. So we don't need to resurrect the old covenant and put rules and regulations around Christianity in order to earn the favor of God. Once again, let me hear me say this, Christian. You have the favor of God in Jesus. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder if God is loving you today or if God is mad at you. You don't have to wonder if you have God's favor today or if God, if you're going to incur some curses from God. You don't have to wonder. You have the favor of God in Jesus. And instead of setting up rules and regulations and check boxes in order to earn his favor, just live in the freedom having been set free from sin and death. Live in the freedom of following the Lord and trusting in him. Live in the freedom of keeping your eyes on Jesus and wanting to glorify God in everything you do, you do because he's made you new. It's not about the boxes we can build or the check boxes we can make. When we run back to the, the Ten Commandments and we put them back up, we have the grace of God because of Jesus. We have salvation because of Jesus. Why would we want to run back and put back up the things that never brought us salvation in the first place? The law is good, but it was good for showing us our imperfections and our need for a Savior. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, don't run back to the law. Don't start building a Christianity full of rules and regulations that make you earn God's favor. You have it in Jesus. Live as people who've been set free from sin and death by Christ. The, the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws are really good at showing us some of the character of God. We're able to see glimpses into who God is, and that, that should strengthen our faith and help us walk according to the way that God has called us to, help us to glorify and honor and praise God, but they're not regulations and rules to check off in order to earn God's favor. You have God's favor because of Jesus. So Christians, I, it is my hope and my prayer for us that we would be a church of people who have been freed by Jesus from sin and shame and legalism. That we're a church of people that don't need to build rules and regulations and check boxes and say, hey, you need to follow these for God to love you. Because there are no rules and regulations that we can follow to get God to love us more or love us less. God loves us in Jesus. It's my hope that you will know and live and that freedom. And some of you this morning, you don't have that freedom. You don't have the joy of knowing Jesus. You don't have the eternal life. You've never entered into that rest. You've never received that eternal life. You've never been set free. And so you are trying to earn salvation. You are trying to earn the favor of God. You're trying to earn his love. You're here at church this morning checking off a box saying, hey, God, I did something for you today. You, you say prayers and you might read the Bible from time to time, but you, you do those things because you think God's going to love you more if you do them. And if you just check off some boxes, then God's going to let you into heaven. If you can prove that you're Christian enough, if you can prove that you're better than so-and-so, then God's going to let you into heaven. But let me tell you that if your goal is to measure up, if your goal is to earn salvation, if the thing that you're standing on on the day of judgment is what you have done, then you will not measure up. You can't. 
God requires a perfect following of his law, and none of us have been capable of that. But the glorious good news is that God has made a way to give you his favor and his love, an unending portion. It's in Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to place your faith and your trust in Jesus for the very first time. To go from death to life and to experience the favor and the love of God. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And as we're singing, I'm going to be standing right here. If that's you and you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I would love for you to come up here. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't want to come up here, we'll have people in the back as well who would love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. Do not leave this morning without having the favor of God, the love of God, about knowing what it, what it means to be set free from the obligation to earn God's favor and to receive it in Jesus. That's my prayer and hope for every single person here. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have been set free from sin and death because of Jesus. God, I thank you that the, the opportunity exists for us to enter into your rest. The opportunity exists for us to, be, to have your favor to have your righteousness, to, to have your love with unending portion. God, the opportunity exists to become part of your eternal kingdom. And that is not because we've earned it. It's not because we check off enough boxes or do enough good things. God, we never could. We are stubborn, rebellious people. But God, we have the opportunity to enter in because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross for us. And you give us your favor and your love, even though we never earned it. God, you give us his righteousness. You give us his peace. You give us his position as heir and son and daughter in the kingdom of God. I pray, Father, that every single person in here would know how much you love them and would have experienced the, your favor and your love. God, that every single person in here will trust in Jesus for eternal life, will trust in Jesus for your favor and your love. And they will know what it's like to be set free from slavery to the law, set free from the obligation of earning your favor. God, I pray for those in here that know you, that trust in you, that love you. God, I pray that they would be freed this morning from guilt and shame, and that they would be freed this morning knowing that you love them in Jesus. You have, they, they have your favor in Jesus. I pray for anyone in here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus. I pray this morning would be the morning that they enter into eternal life. They experience your favor and your love for the very first time. Well, we love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.